that to do if you can open with me to Luke 2. And as you get there, as you're turning there, last week I gave you kind of a sermon before the sermon. I kind of want to do the same thing, maybe today just a thought before the main thought. And, you know, we live in a world where lots of people want to strip Christ out of, of Christmas. But I just want to remind us today how hard it is, how hard it is to take Jesus out of Christmas, Christ out of Christmas. I read the following this week. I just want to read this to you. It's kind of a, a picture of hope for us, maybe even a challenge for us. If they want to call it Christmas, great. Let's point out that the first six letters of that word point to Jesus, the Christ. If they want to call it a holiday, that's their right. We'll simply remind them that the word holiday is derived from the words holy day, and it refers to the holiness of the birth of Jesus. If they want to call it Yuletide, that's fine. That's the old phrase for the 12 days of Christmas, which people in olden times called the Feast of the Nativity. If they want to talk about the seasonal holiday, we'll tell them about Jesus who came in due season and in the fullness of time. If they want to talk about Santa Claus, we're happy to bring up or bring to the forefront St. Nicholas, who lived in the city of Myra, Turkey, in the 4th century and was famous for his generosity to the poor. If they want to talk about gift giving, we'll tell them about the Magi who brought the first Christmas gifts to Jesus. If they want to talk about the songs and sounds of the season, we'll tell them about the first choirs that filled the Bethlehem skies on the night that Christ was born. If they want to talk about Hanukkah, we'll talk about how Christ is the light of the world, the personification and fulfillment of the Jewish menorah that stood in the ancient temple. And if perhaps they want to use the phrase Xmas, we'll just point out that X is the Greek letter He, it's C-H-I, which is the first letter, and get this, the symbol of Jesus Christ. So the reality for this specific season is you can't get Jesus out. You can't get him out. Christmas has always been about him, and it will always be about him. And the Bible uses more than 300 names and titles to describe him, but Jesus can no more be contained in those titles as the ocean could be bottled up in a collection of beautiful containers. You just can't do it. So we are three weeks into our Christmas sermon series, He is where we are walking through the events of Luke 1 and 2 in order to get a glimpse of the revealed identity of our Savior, of Jesus. We've already seen that He is the promised one. Last week we saw Him as the everlasting one from the beginning, and today we're going to see that He is indeed the Savior of the world, meaning a Savior has come to us. God has come near. I love the words of Wayne Grudem. In speaking about the coming of Jesus or the incarnation, he says this, the incarnation or the coming of Jesus is by far the most amazing miracle in the entire Bible. More amazing than the resurrection, more amazing than the creation of the universe. The fact that infinite, omnipotent, eternal, the Son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with, fi with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and profound mystery in all the universe. Amen. So we know, according to all that we have seen so far in Luke 1 and now heading to Luke 2, that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, entered 
history at a certain point in time. According to the Apostle John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yet let me remind us that we're not just here celebrating that Christ came. We're not just here celebrating that a baby came wrapped in flesh. We are here celebrating why he came. And the why that he came is glorious. The why that he came is beautiful. For the mission of Jesus did not stop at the manger. The mission itself began at the manger. So why did Jesus come? Someone put it this way. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But because our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. The bad news is that we were so lost. We were so lost and broken that we could not find our way to God, nor could we save ourselves. That is the bad news, and it is bad. But the good news is that we are so loved by God that he sent his son to do for us what we could never do. The bad news is so, or the good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. But praise God for the good news. I want us to turn to the word and continue to look through the lens of Jesus, focusing on who he is in order to continually get a fresh perspective of the baby in the manger. So we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. We're just going to really focus on one phrase or a couple of phrases in that. On Friday night at our Christmas Eve service, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 7 again. But we're going to kind of read them all, 1 through 14, just to kind of frame it right. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Luke 2, 1 through 14. And Luke writes these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same reason, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. Let me just stop for a second and say this. God sent one angel to give a message. God sent a host of angels to praise the message. So praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we honor you. And Lord, we pray that this day, again, Jesus, you would make much of yourself in this moment. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the only Savior of sinners in the world. Just show us the beauty, again, of why you came and what it means for us. 
And Lord, if there's any in this room today, any listening online that don't know you, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, just have your way. Speak, O oh God. Open our eyes and let us behold wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So don't miss this picture. God, who cannot lie, by the mouth of an angel, called this newborn baby a Savior. Therefore, a Savior he must be. A Savior on the grandest of all scales. A Savior continually. A Savior abundantly. And it amazes me how very little we talk about being saved. You know, it seems as if people don't understand what it means to be saved in a spiritual sense anymore. Now, we have no trouble talking about being saved in a physical sense. You know, if someone is drowning, their immediate need is not swimming lessons. It's not, hey, there was a swimming lesson last week, you should have gone. Or if someone is choking on their food, their immediate need is not etiquette classes. You need to learn how to chew a little better. Maybe this wouldn't happen. Or if someone is in a terrible car accident, their immediate need is not driver's ed. In all of those situations, the immediate need is saving, is rescue. It's not a lecture from us. It's not pointing anywhere else. Rescue them. Yet the question still needs to be asked, if Jesus came to save, then what are we being saved from? And let me just real quick, I want to kind of proceed gingerly but also boldly here because oftentimes today when you hear people present the gospel very often you are led to believe the idea that Jesus came in order to save you from a life of loneliness and unfulfillment and that's why Jesus came he came so that you wouldn't be lonely he came so that your life would have more fulfillment and yeah there's some truths in there but the, the universal problem that moved God the Father to send God the Son was not that you were unfulfilled. It wasn't that you were lonely. What moved God the Father to send God the Son is that we were in sin and we could not save ourselves. So therefore, God sent His own Son into the world to save sinners. So a Savior from sin has come. Can anybody rejoice in that today? Savior from sin has come. Yet the question I think we need to keep asking and are going to ask today is this. Well, what kind of Savior is he? A Savior has come. What kind of Savior is he? So three truths today that point us to the kind of Savior that Jesus is. And the first is this. Jesus is a universal Savior. He's a universal Savior. Look back at verses 10 and 11 again. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, if you underline your Bible, underline this, all the people, for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus is Savior not only of one nationality. He is a Savior of the world. The gift of salvation through faith in Jesus is not just offered to a select group of people. It is offered to all people. Jesus is the gate. He is the door of John 10 that gladly extends the gift of salvation broadly. Because as we saw last week from the mouth or heard last week from the mouth of John the baptizer, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the what? Takes away the sins of the world. Don't miss this. Let's don't, don't forget the words of Jesus. Some of his most famous words, For God so loved the world that he gave 
his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. In 1867, Henry Morehouse, a young pastor from England, was preaching at the Illinois Street Church in Chicago, preaching in the church of Dwight L. Moody, and he preached a week-long series only on John 3.16. And he said, when people asked him why he preached the same message, I'm going to keep preaching it until you get it. So maybe I need to start doing that a little more. But he preached the same message night in and night out. And on the very last night, he said this. I've been trying to tell you how much God loves you. Suppose I could borrow Jacob's ladder. Suppose I could ascend that shining stairway until my feet stood on streets of gold. Suppose I could find Gabriel and ask him how much God loved the world. And Henry Morehouse said this. I know what he would say. Gabriel would say, Henry Morehouse, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting eternal life. That's how much God loved the world. And that is the clearest explanation of the gospel. God looked down from heaven. God is father. He's always been a father and he saw us his creation suffering and floundering in our sin, unable to save ourselves, and God would not let us perish there. So his son wrapped himself in flesh and came to earth in search of us. But we didn't realize what he came for, so we killed him. But we didn't realize in killing him, he was paying the debt for even our sin of killing him the debt of all of our sins, so that if we believe, if we look to him in faith, we'd be saved. Here's a good way to look at it. Think of it this way. God loved or loves. God gave. We believe. We live. God loves. God gave. We believe. We live. And that is true, hear this, for all people. That's a message for all people, for all. Jesus is a universal Savior. But secondly, let's kind of jump in it as well today. Secondly, Jesus is an exclusive Savior. He's not just a universal Savior. He's an exclusive Savior. There's one reason why Jesus would come to earth to take on flesh in the first place, and that's to unite sinful people with a holy God thus becoming the only way by which we are to be saved. Meaning, and hear this, and I'm not going to apologize for this, no one will ever be saved apart from Jesus Christ. If anyone ever declares to you that you can be saved apart from Jesus, they are offering you a false and futile hope that will never save you. That will never save you. In fact, don't believe me. Believe Jesus. In John 14, 6, as you see on the screen, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, none, come to the Father except through me. How often have we heard people say something like this? Well, there, there are many religions in the world, and there are many ways to God. Some call God Allah, others call him Jehovah, others by many other names, but there's really only one God. And regardless of how you address him, 
all religions basically have the same goal to get us to God. And so it really doesn't matter what person we believe in or what religious system we hold to. As long as we sincerely believe in our hearts, we're all going to end up in the same place. We, We hear that. Some have even tried to put it this way. It's like all of humanity is at the bottom of a mountain, and God, or whatever you call him, that's their words, not mine, is at the top. And you may take one way, and I might take another way. In fact, there's thousands upon thousands of, of ways. But as long as we walk sincerely, we'll all end up at the same place, as if someone has taken all thousand or so ways and ended up there. And let me just say this. In one sense, let me say I absolutely believe that all ways lead to God. Now, before you run me off, please, please, please let me finish. Whether you are a believer, whether you're agnostic, whether you are an atheist, whatever road you are on right now, you will get to God one day. And you will absolutely stand before him and answer to him. All ways lead to God. But all but one lead to God as judge. There's only one way that leads to God as father. That leads to God as Savior. That leads to God as friend. And that way is Jesus Christ. For you see, God is not perched on some mountain waiting for us to get to him. God sent his son down from the mountain to come to us to seek and to save that which was lost. And praise be to God, he found us. He saved us. Praise be to him. Jesus is not just a way. He's the way. Now, some of you are going to resonate with what I'm about to say next. Others of you, it's not going to make sense. But long before GPS and long before smartphones, there were times where your family would jump in a car. Kids would be in the back, dad driving, mom, I'm in the passenger seat holding this map. And as you drove, this map would get bigger and bigger. And before long, what would happen? Inevitably, in every trip when you're going someplace, Um, mom would be holding this part of the map, dad would be driving, holding the other part of the map, because this is how big it is, trying to figure out what little line on the map you missed. And you're figuring out what's going on, and you and the kids are in the back, you know, uh, making noise, Kelly's bothering me, and mom and dad, or or dad mainly going, don't make me come back there, and all of those things are happening. I mean, it's just chaos. And eventually, dad, which I am now, will, will humble himself, stop at a gas station, and ask for directions, and inevitably you'd always find that one guy. Oh, yeah, I can get you there. Go down to, to Earl's Lawnmower. It's been sitting there forever. It's got weeds all over it. You'll see it. You can't miss it. You take a left at Earl's Lawnmower. You keep going, and you'll come up to, to Miss Daisy's Honey Shop. You'll see her on the side of the road selling honey. You take a right there immediately, immediately Jim Bob. You'll see Jim Bob. He's always out in the field at this time. You'll see him. You take another left, and you're sitting there going, it should already be established. I'm not good with directions. Like We've already established that because I'm here in front of you asking for directions. You know what would be a whole lot better than this guy giving you directions that you're going to get lost even more is for him to say, you know what? I'm not going to tell you how to get there. I'm going to take you there. And here's the beauty of it. Jesus did not come to show us the way to heaven. He came to take us there because he is the way. He is the way. And here's what we need to understand. Don't be deceived today. Jesus is not one of many ways to the Father. Jesus is not the best of several ways to the Father. Jesus is the only way. 
And the way that has been set before us, hear this, it's not a brutal way. It's not a harsh way. It's a beautiful way. Because Jesus laid down his life to make the way. Therefore, think about it. That's why God the Son came into the world. That's why he was born to simple peasants. It's why a feeding trough was its first bed. It's why shepherds were first to worship him. It's why Gentiles were also invited to worship him. It's why he was raised in Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's why his own people rejected him. It's why after preaching a message of grace and healing the sick and delivering the demonized and even raising the dead, he was betrayed by his close friends. His other close friends abandoned him. He was falsely accused by religious leaders. He was handed over to Gentile oppressors and he was brutally crucified in the most humiliating way. It's also why he was raised from the dead on the third day. Jesus came for all people and everyone is invited and everyone will get in the same way. Through him. Through him. Maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online this morning. There's something stirring in your heart. If there is, let me just say this this morning. Regardless of where you are today, you don't have to make your home there anymore. Regardless of where you are today, you don't have to make your home there anymore. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Yes, he is the only way, but he is an amazing way. He is a beautiful way. He is a glorious way. He has made the way. So he is a universal Savior. Praise be to God. He is an exclusive Savior. But then lastly, he is an all-powerful Savior. He's an all-powerful Savior. So in fact, Jesus not only has the power to save us. I want you to hear this this morning because this is great news for us. Jesus has the power to keep us. Okay, that should have gotten an amen from a saved crowd. I'll go try to save church next week, but let's just play along. Jesus has the power not only to save us, but to keep us. See, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 38 and 39, he is writing. And, of course, he has this encounter with Jesus long after the baby in the manger. There was a time where Paul didn't believe in Jesus. He believed Jesus was dead. And he had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus where he stopped believing he was dead. In fact... His life, his rebel will was captured in that moment by grace and his life was forever changed. But in Romans 8, 38 and 39, and we went over this a few, um, several weeks back when we were walking through Romans, Paul says these words. And you can either look them up, you can trust what I have written up here, or you can look them up in your own Bible to realize we're not making this up. Paul says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to hear this, separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul doesn't say, he begins by saying, I'm sure. He doesn't, he doesn't cross his fingers and says, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, or I hope so. I hope this works out well because I've given up everything for it. No, Paul is convinced of God's overcoming and conquering love. This is a love that Paul is banking everything on. Paul is saying this love cannot be threatened. It cannot be overpowered. This love of God can't even be muted. 
You can't mute God's love. Paul then proceeds to list all of these things that could be seen as barricades to God's love, but quickly dismisses them all. None can stand a chance against the love of God for us. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way, and just look at your Bibles. It just kind of helps as we walk through this statement. He says, nothing in human experience, verse 38, neither death nor life, nothing in the spiritual realm, neither angels nor rulers, nothing in time, things present nor things to come, nothing that opposes God's people, any powers, nothing in space, height nor depth, verse 39, nothing else in all creation, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he says, why? Because God loves us, not because of anything in us that changes constantly, not because of the world around us that changes constantly, but God loves us because, hear this, he loves us. He loves us because he loves us. And nothing changes that. Our love, here's our problem. Sometimes we look at that and we go, well, I don't just, well, I don't believe that. Because we use our love and pawn that off on God. Our love is fickle. Our love is fallible. It changes. But God's love is inseparable. It's steadfast. It's sure. May we hear this today with wide ears of faith. Accompanied with the promise of Jesus in John 10, verses 28 and 29. Listen to what Jesus himself says. I give them eternal life. So Jesus is basically saying, whoever comes to me, Whoever has faith in me, I will give them eternal life. And then he says this, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one. Nothing. Did you hear that? Let that sink in. Let that speak to your fearful heart even now. Let that calm the storm in your mind even now. You can bank on this. God's love is resolved and resilient. He is an all-powerful Savior who loves to keep his own. If you are his, guess what? He will hold you forever. There's a beautiful line in a hymn. It's called, the hymn is Victory in Jesus, but the line is, He's my Savior forever. Do you know that we need Jesus to be our Savior forever? It's not we just don't need Jesus to be a Savior until we get to heaven and we're on our own. No, he will forever be our Savior because we will forever need saving. We'll forever need his grace and his mercy. But just think about this. Because Jesus is our Savior, the Scripture tells us we're forgiven. The Scripture tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for us. The Scripture says we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is our Savior, God's wrath has been satisfied by him. Because Jesus is our Savior, we have been justified. God declares us not guilty. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old has, is gone. The new has come. Because Christ is our Savior, we have eternal life. We have been adopted by God. Hear this, by which you are now sons and daughters of the most high God. Praise Him. 
Because he's our savior, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus is our advocate. He represents us. Death has no more sting over us. We have an inheritance that will never perish. And nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me give you one more. Because Jesus is our Savior, nothing can undo what he did for us. When Jesus died and said, it is finished, it means it is finished. And no one can undo that. Praise be to God. Praise be to him for our salvation. Oh, I pray. I pray that you know this salvation. And you will only know this salvation by knowing its Savior. But let me end this way. I'm going to show you one more thing on the screen. And this isn't original, and I couldn't find where I got it. So I'm going to say it's not mine. It's somebody else's. Pastor Jordan, I think he once said it, so I'm going to give him credit for it. But let's just, just follow with. Don't miss this. In Christ, in him, God in the flesh, we have a love that can never be fathomed, a joy that can never be diminished, a peace that can never be understood, a hope that can never disappoint, a life that can never die. This is about the time you start getting out your phones and taking this because this is good. Taking a picture of this, this is good to keep with us. We have a righteousness that can never be tarnished. In Christ, we have a rest that can never be disturbed. A glory that can never be clouded. A purity that can never be defiled. In Christ, we have a beauty that can never be marred. Resources that can never be exhausted. A light that can never be exhausted. And in Christ, we have a work that can never be undone. Can we rejoice in what we have in Christ today? Can we praise the one who has done all of that for us? And all of that, all of that was in the manger on that first Christmas. And all of that can be ours even today. It can be ours even today. Is he your Savior? Do you know him as Savior? Do you know him as the one who who you need to save you from your sins? Here's the problem. Many times we want to believe in a higher power that's here to help us like a genie. Anytime we we need it, what we don't want to admit is that we're desperately lost. and We can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. And we have to depend on one who has done for us what we could never do. And his name is Jesus. And he is our Savior. And he is our Savior forever. And again, he is the only Savior of sinners in the world. Do you know him? Do you love him? Do you follow him? Do you desire for him to become more and you to become less? Oh, do you know him today? I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to call musicians forward as we enter in this time of invitation and consecration. However the Lord is working today, may you obey. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, Lord, we praise you. Father, thank you. Jesus Thank you for being our Savior. Holy Spirit, thank you for convicting. Thank you for drawing us. Thank you, O God, for all that you have done. And we just rejoice even now, again, in our Savior. I pray for anyone in this room, anyone listening online who has never trusted you as Savior and Lord, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the acknowledgement that we can't save ourselves. We can't do it. Many try, keep trying, 
We try to bring power in our own lives. We try to overcome the obstacles that we face. We try to, to somehow make our way around the sin that is at the core of us, and we just can't do it. But Jesus, you've done it. You've made a way. For you are the way. And you are our Savior forever. If any don't know you, may today be the day they call on your name. Call the name of the Lord and be saved. For the rest of us, Lord, remind us in this moment how loved we are. How held we are. That we are securely in your hand. And there are times, God, in being in your hand, you squeeze. And it hurts. But you do so as a reminder that we're in your hands. But also as a reminder that sometimes things have to go. Because we're holding on to things that we have to let go of. But Lord, we just rejoice that our salvation isn't dependent upon us holding on to you. But it's dependent on you holding on to us. To which you are more than able. Finish this time, Lord, in a way that brings you glory. In Jesus' name. Come and stand amazed, you people.